Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey there, this is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. I am your host, Nina Perez, and we are here to discuss life topics to challenge and transform your thinking. Let's do this. Today, I have somebody who is in incredible with energy. So I cannot wait for you guys to meet him. His name is Pablo Murillo, and he was born in Nicaragua and learned early in his childhood what power of the people really meant. So growing up during the Revolutionary War taught him many lessons of survival, resilience, and how to overcome the horrors that come with experiencing war. He is now a public speaker and the founder of Yenesis Leadership Training, and it's a company assisting organizations and individuals to increase their leadership skills. So, Pablo, thank you for being here on Straight Talk. This How is are you? Pablo Murillo from Genesis Leadership Training. Mira, mira, mira. Coming live and direct to you with Nina Perez on No Sugar Addict. She's making sure you stay focused on your dreams and stay at it. Thank you for having me, Nina. I'm excited to be here. Oh, see, I told you guys, impact energy. <laughs> I love it. Look, Pablo, I, your story is pretty amazing. So I'd like to get into that because... One of the things that I love to do is to show people that no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, you have to stop your limiting belief because you can do a lot of things in life. You can move forward, right? So before we move forward with where you are today, I would really love you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, and we're going to just take it from there and, and just go ahead and progress to where you are today. So tell us a little bit about who Pablo is today. Today or back then? Well, however you want to start. Let's start back then. Let's start there. Let's start back then. So as Nina shared with everybody, I was born in Nicaragua. And as much as my story may sound a little bit extreme, in Latin America, it really isn't. A lot of mm. children are still going through that today. And that's something that we should always remember, to try to see how we can make a difference in the world. Mm. Anyways, I grew up in the war, in the Civil War. I remember me uh, being in my house looking at a newspaper, and then I saw the front page, people, you know, some civilians with uh, scars on their face and guns, mm. and that was the beginning of me being aware that there was something going on. I didn't quite know how to read them. I just, I, I remember just looking at the pictures and wondering why are these people with guns, right? I was thinking of that. Then I remember um, I went, I, was, I think I was in second grade, second grade, and we were at school. And then all of a sudden, you know, in Nicaragua, our schools are not like the schools here. We, you could see outside the street because the windows don't have, you know, windows. Right, they just right. walls on the wall. And so we were in class and I remember hearing firecrackers, what I thought were firecrackers. Wow. And we thought, I thought to myself, wait a minute, it's not December yet because in Nicaragua, we don't have regulation for firecrackers. We have literally bombs being thrown everywhere for Christmas, right? right? And I thought, those are firecrackers. How come people are throwing them so early? Because it was nowhere near December. But, as, but then it got louder and louder. And then we saw people running in the street. Civilians, again, with wow. scars on their faces. And then we saw jeeps of the army just 
going after them. And then it, it, we realized it was war. Our teacher said, get on the ground, everybody. So we got on the ground, on the floor, and then bullets started flying everywhere, wow. like hitting the walls. And I, I remember me thinking like, what the heck is going on? I didn't understand it at that moment. And then kids just got up and started running out of the classroom. And so I started running too. And you know, our teacher, I don't know, you know what happened to her, but we just ran out. And I remember me jumping the fence in the school because we didn't have an emergency evacuation kind of plan either. And I remember me running home, running as fast as I could. And as I ran, I kept looking on the streets and I saw people already shot on the floor. Wow. And I was amazed because I was like, are they dead? But I couldn't stop running. I was just running. And then I saw the army coming, like jeeps coming on my way. So I got scared and then I just went under uh, an old car that was there. I just went under it. And I stayed there for like, I don't know, three hours maybe. Wow. And um, that was the first time that I experienced war. And I was so scared, you know, I was just so scared. But uh, after that, when things got quiet, I got out and I kept running home. And then my grandmother was just crying because they thought that I was dead somewhere. And that was the first time that I that I encountered war. Um, my family, we grew up in a very poor neighborhood. And I didn't realize, and this is the weird thing, when you're growing in the environment that you're in, mm. you don't realize the environment that you're True. in, if right. that makes sense. Right. And uh, when I went back to Nicaragua to visit my family, years later, after I came to the USA, I realized that I really lived in extreme poverty. I didn't see it that way when I was there. You know, I was that, our family was a merchant family. We saw things in the streets. And so I shined shoes. I saw newspapers. I saw food in the streets. So my, my schedule was, I woke up at 4, in like 4 a.m., get ready to go with my auntie to the market. We will buy fruits, uh, you know, anything to sell. Come back home by 7.30. Then uh, my grandmother will be washing clothes, you know, by hand, because that's how you wash clothes over there. And so my job was to set all the fruits on a table outside the house. And then my auntie will get ready to go to work and she clean houses. And so I would sit outside with the fruits for like 30, 40 minutes while my grandmother will finish washing clothes. Then she would come outside, she would give me breakfast, I would eat, and by then it was like maybe 10, 10, 15. Then I would go inside the house and start thinking about cooking lunch. Now I'm small, I had to get up on a stool to cook. So right. my grandmother would prepare the meat outside that we were gonna eat. Meanwhile, I'm on a stool inside the house uh, cooking rice, and then I go outside and she gives me the meat already prepared, and all I gotta do is cook it. So I cook the meat. And then, uh, even though I was small, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. We have six other kids in the house. Wow. And it was my job to make sure that they all started showering because by 12 noon, we have to leave to go to school. Because over there in Nicaragua, you go to school from 8 to 12 and then 1 to 5. We went okay. 1 to 5. So uh, I made sure that they all get in the shower, you know, shower, and then I helped them shower too. And I remember me telling my cousin, how come I shower you when you're bigger than me? Because he was bigger than me. And I was right. like, how come I shower you when you're bigger than me? I didn't understand that. I thought it was something wrong with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I finished by 11, 15. Everything's good. The kids are showered. And then I jump in the shower. And then I give them food. We eat. By 12, we leave. We go to school, right? And I remember going to school was, I love going to school. Two reasons why. 
the minute we got into the school, I would say to all the kids, leave, just disappear. I don't want to see you. Because to me, I didn't have to worry about them at that moment anymore, right? right? You're in school, go. And then this is what's going to sound weird. I love fighting. And so I, at recess, I, I always go fight with somebody. It's just what I did. I, and looking back, looking back, I was so angry that right. the world was so cruel. That's what happened. I was so angry that the world was so evil that I decided I wasn't going to be a victim to it. And so I became more cruel than the world that I was watching. That's what right. that was about. Right. And so I would do my fighting. I would do my studying, right? I was a great student because I was responsible. Because, you know, going to sell things in the street, I learned responsibility. So anyways, a fight, we leave, we go back home. My grandmother has dinner for us. I eat, I do homework until seven. Then I go pick up newspapers to go sell. And I get on the buses and go like 20 miles away from the house selling the newspapers. And then come back home around, I don't know, nine, maybe 9 p.m. Wow. Give the money to my grandmother, finish some of the homework, go to sleep by 10, 30, 11, and then do it all over the next do day. Do it all over. And so, yeah, and so... Um, I, I, I had a sense of responsibility very early on. And one thing that I never had, I had no imagination, you know that? I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to be imaginative. I even hated seeing kids playing like, you know, with planes and things. I'd be like, you're so dumb. Why are you playing that, right? right. Because I had to grow up so fast. And that was damaging to me because imagination is the door to your success. And we'll talk about that later. And I had to develop that imagination as I grew up as an adult. And I never had it when I was a kid. That's a funny thing. And so um, when I went back to Nicaragua and I saw my neighborhood, I realized like, wow, you know, there is middle class over there. There's poor. And then there's my family. You know what I mean? Like, right, it's just right. another level. Right. It's just another level. And people from my barrio, when they come to the United States, they move into the ghetto in the USA, like, you know, Canton, you know, you know, ghettos, right, where it's very economically, uh, economically challenged, right, and we write letters back saying, we're rich, you know what I mean, right. that's how bad right. it is in Nicaragua, right. mm -hmm. and um, I, I remember I went back, and I went to visit an auntie from my father's side, and at 6 p.m. I was going back home, so I went outside, and I stopped a taxi to take me home, and the first taxi that stopped, now only in Nicaragua, a taxi driver will always stop for you and try to put as many people in the car to make money. That's what they do, right? right. It's not like Uber. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> 10 people in the car. If you're willing to go inside, he'll pull you in, right? right. <laughs> this taxi driver was empty. You understand? So I want to contextualize this. He has nobody in his car. I say to him, he stopped. I go, he goes, where are you going? I go, America Uno, because that's my battery, America Uno. He goes, oh, no, I don't go there. And he took off. And I said, what? You wow. don't go there? You're a taxi driver. I said, all right, whatever, this guy, right? So I, start, I, I wait. I stop a second guy. He stops. He's empty. He has nobody. And I ask him, hey, where are you going? I'm going to America Uno. How much? He goes, oh, I no me meto. Like, I don't go in there. I go, and I went, wait a minute. Why, man? What? Why? He goes, man, thieves get robbed there. I'm not going. And he took off. And that's when you, I realized then at that moment, I said, wow, taxi drivers won't even go to my neighborhood. And that's yeah. 
And so that's when I realized, like, wow. And then, you know, it contextualized a lot of things about how I felt about my life and things that I had grown up with that I didn't realize in the environment. So my message for those of you that are listening is this. Look at the environment that you're living in, whatever that is. Because being well-off doesn't necessarily mean it's a good environment. There Mm -hmm. are things that may pressure you into developing beliefs and behaviors that may not be, that may not serve you, right? Just look at the environment and decide this, because if I would have known this back then, it would have helped me a lot. Your environment doesn't have to decide who you will become. That's good. It doesn't have to be that way. It's going to take self-awareness, though. It's going to take mental toughness for you to separate yourself from it and realize how it is that the environment is shaping you and how that plays out in your behaviors and in your thinking. And then be able to step back like a like an out-of-body experience and look at that and say, that's not who I want to be, or that's not who I intend to be. And right. then make the adjustments. Right. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's process, it's a process, but at least becoming self-aware of that is the first step into that. And that's and so growing up in the war. I mean, I, I remember one night too, the, the first night that we slept in war. I didn't say sleep because we didn't sleep. What happened was we were watching TV again, and then we started hearing the firecrackers, but I was with firecrackers. And over there in Nicaragua, when you heard this, Patria Libre, o morir, it was over, it's on, that's what it meant. And that means, give me, what is a Patria Libre or morir? Well, how would, the, how would we say that in English? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> freedom, give, me, give me free land or give me death. Yeah, okay. kind of like that, right? And so when you heard that, it was on. So we closed the door and we got on the floor, right? And then I remember just hearing people just outside yelling and fighting and shooting and, you know, bullets coming through the house. And that was wow. a scary thing. Wow. And we didn't, I didn't sleep the whole night. I remember my grandmother, all of us, there were no men in the house. I was the man of the house. My grandmother always said that. And I remember me um, just being on the floor. We were just on the floor the whole night and I couldn't sleep the whole night, right? Just hearing people outside yelling and getting shot and, one guy even got burned and we heard him burn in, in the morning. There was the body burned, like wow. you know, it was all wrinkled. And, and I went from that night not being able to sleep and many other nights not being able to sleep to the point that we built a hole in the house, like a lower level than the ground level, right? Like a house. Right. We put some blankets on there and then that's what we would jump in at night when the stuff would start off. And I was able to jump in there and literally five minutes later, I will be asleep, you know? I was able to take that terror, that, that constant worry of, oh my God, I'm gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, like second by second, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. I was able to take that and somehow just surrender to that and say, look, there's nothing I can do, man. If a bullet is going to come through and get me on the gutty wheel, there's nothing I can do to stop that. If right. they're going to close the door, right, and come in and shoot us all, there's nothing I can do about that either. So what do I do? I want to go to sleep. All right, well, let's focus on going to sleep. And I would do that. You see what I mean? Yeah. And the message that I have for you on, just on life in general is that when you face your fears, you're going to feel that emotion, right? You're going to feel that uh the, the moment that you think you cannot do anything but just sink in that fear. Right. And you have to, you must be able to remind yourself that when you fall in fear, you are giving up your willpower. You're giving up the right to choose. You're giving up 
your 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 intent because fear right. stands for faith future expectations are relinquished that's my definition of fear you're not gonna find that anywhere that's genesis of it right there right out of the oven nina <laughs> <laughs> that's but, awesome yeah but really future expectations are relinquished so if i would have given into that fear just worrying about constantly dying i wouldn't know being responsible for what i intended to do which was to just go to sleep and rest because i was tired after all that stuff that we did all the, all the time you know during right the day. Right. So I own my will to choose no matter what. And I and I and I own my intent. And I wanted to go to sleep. I intended to go to sleep. And that's what I did. And when I face fear now, that's the same way I face it. I always look at it. I feel it. I acknowledge it. And then I say, I got the right to choose. It's my intent, not yours. And then right. Right. So future expectations are relinquished. You can change that also too. Future expectations are re-envisioned, and then you push through that. Right. And that's a little bit of the background how I grew up, and I was a fighter. I was really angry. You know, I was just, I had rage inside. It was like this thing here that just constantly wanted to come out. Yeah. And if you gave me an excuse, I was glad to have it, you know, to give it to you, right? I was that guy that I was kick the bullies. So I never went around just fight for no reason, but I wanted to find a reason to fight. Right. Yeah. Well, you were and trying to I, release it. You were trying to release everything you were feeling, right? And when you're young, you don't know how to release it. So that's how you release it, you know? And um, there's a couple of things in that story that are so impactful, many things. Um, you know, fear came at you in a traumatizing way too, right? It was it was traumatic when you became fearful. Um, and also a responsibility was given to you when you were too young to take on that responsibility. When you're a child and somebody said to you, you're the man of the house, that gives you a whole different idea and concept in your mind of what that means you know so now you feel overly responsible to make sure everybody survives that nobody gets shot that everybody's taken care of and you're too little to even know what that means really right because you might know like some of the concepts but you don't know what that really means to be the man of the house you know so there was a lot there to unpack right i tell you one thing i did take away from all of that which is a lot so one of the key points i took away from your story is that it almost it almost feels silly to say now that you're afraid of something, right? Like it almost feels silly to have to say that you have fear of success or fear of moving forward or fear of starting a business or fear of whatever when you come from the story that you come from, Pablo, because you're literally afraid of losing your life for real, right? There's, there's bullets coming through your house, through your school, right? So when you think about that, that is a real fear. I always feel like there's two different types of fear. There's that fear that keeps you safe, right? Being afraid and saying, okay, everybody get down on the ground. That's real, you know? And then there's the fear that we face that mm -hmm. sometimes it's all fake, right? I, I always, I, I define fear differently. I define fear as um, facing and eliminating all restrictions, you know, because we, <laughs> thank you. I like yours too, because we have to face things, eliminate them and, and, you know, their the restrictions, get rid of them. Fear is a lie and it's a liar, right? Especially when it comes to things that are coming against your personal development, like you talked about earlier, self-reflection, right? There's a lot of things that we are believing within ourselves that are a lie, and that lie causes the fear. But I want to get to where Pablo, how the heck did you get out of that, 
right? Like, how did you move forward from that and come into the States? Or were you out of that environment before you left to come to the States? So what happened was my grandmother, so the revolution won in 1979. I was eight years old by then. That's when the civil war basically, I say we, cause I consider myself the people, part of the people, I wasn't the right, army. The army would come into our homes and they would kill everybody, Nina. They would just rape all the women and shoot everybody. And there was nothing anybody could do. Right. And people got tired of that life, right? And so 1979, July 19, next month, right? Is the day when the army ran out. And uh, the president Somoza was his name. He left the country. So that started a new life for us. For the first time, we had a, we had a, like school materials that we were given. We had chairs because we didn't have chairs in the school. You just had a piece wow. of wood that maybe to write on and you would sit on the floor. For the first time, we had everybody had a chair to sit on with a with, a, with something to write on. And we, and we started organizing, like every street had a committee. It was a committee that we meet every week to discuss what that street needed. That's so I great. really learned this sense of community. Community, yeah. Yeah, community and pushing together. Whether people agree with the politics of it, putting that aside as a child, all I saw was people pulling together, my, our neighbors, right? Meeting every week and deciding where do we go from here? And that was empowering to me. But I was still angry because we had two, two years of peace from the 79 to 81. What happened in 81, uh, Ronald Reagan was a president here in the United States. And this is just the facts. He didn't like the government that we had down there. So he said to Congress that they needed to dismantle the government. So they imposed economic sanctions on the country. And so what that meant though, is that they starve everybody in the country. You see what I mean? Children, yeah. women. And so all of a sudden we had no food again. I had to run like even five, six, eight, ten 10 miles, really run to go find rice. Because I would go to one area and they would say, we have no rice. But I heard that they have rice and now we just keep running. Oh, wow. And I mean, I would just wow. go like four or five neighborhoods away with like, like eight miles at least, I would say, running. But I was a great runner because I run a lot for the bullets. <laughs> right, right. And so, um, so, that started another period of uh, real economic strain. And I remember me trying to figure out why it was that we were not allowed to thrive. And why is it that we still have to struggle? My grandmother kept saying, tell your, your father, because my father, I didn't grow up with him. He was here in the United States. She said, tell him to take you down there because there's no future here. You know, look from one thing to the next. And I told her, I don't want to go. I don't know that man. He's married to somebody else. I don't want to be like Cinderella, like the movie. Right, right. <laughs> to say, I don't want to be like Cinderella. But this is what happened. One day I came from selling newspapers one night and I came and I gave her the money and she was just crying, just crying, crying. You know, I knew that she was stressed out because life was so tough. And I was just rubbing her back. And she said this, she said, ask your dad to take you to the United States so you could have a better life. And when you grow up, you can earn some dollars and you can send them back to us so that we can be better off. And that became my why. Wow. If you wow. ever feel that you're stuck, just become crystal clear about your why. Because when you have a clear why, the how, the where and the when become easy. 
So no longer did I worry about Cinderella and didn't worry about my dad not knowing him and all that, right? That stuff that I worry about didn't even matter. My why was go to the USA, get some money and send it back to my family. Wow. Yeah. So that's how I came here. And I came here. And when I got here, it was complete countershock. I, I thought I was going to die when we got in the freeway. Okay. Because I saw five lanes of cars going as fast as they go without a yeah. traffic light. I was like, I just got to the United States and I'm about to die. Right. <laughs> but we didn't die. Nobody crashed. I was like, this is amazing. People don't crash. They kept going, right? That's and so, so amazing. But guess what? That rage was still inside of me. And as I learned the history and then I learned the politics and put things together, mm-hmm. it just exploded inside of me. And then when I encountered racism, because I didn't, I had never experienced racism. And I experienced it here. And I was one of those that I, I wasn't able to speak English yet, but my bro, my half-brothers told me what wetback meant. And if I heard that word, I didn't say yeah, anything. Rage, like, right. Yeah, rage, right. Yeah, that was my excuse. Do you just, I remember I was, I, I, I was uh, Stevenson Junior High in East LA. That's where I went to. It, it was a junior high, but it was, I was almost ready to go to high school. But anyways, I'm, I'm walking and then, I bumped into a kid and then my boat fell. And then I was, I don't know what I said. I think I tried to say sorry, but I don't know what I say, frankly. And I was just picking up the boat and then he said, you effing webpack, right? And I just heard the word webpack, I remember that. That was like the second week I was there. And so, you know, I, I beat him up and I got expelled and I went, mm. they sent me home. And that was just one of many that, I've, right. that I had. So I had this rage and I didn't know what to do with it still. And, and when I went to, and so there were gangs around when I started going to school. So I gravitated towards that because right. it was. Well, they like, were feeding the anger, right? No. Yeah. When they wanted to fight, and I, I, was, I was never a quote unquote a gangster. I just was around it though. And yeah. if people wanted to fight, they knew that I was the one to call because I was ready to fight. Right. Right. And so I lived like that for a lot of years and I didn't understand the anger that I have. I just didn't know it. That's what I'm saying. I had it. It was me. It's the lens that I saw the world through, which is another big thing that I like to share with folks. You heard Napoleon Hill say that from thinking grow rich, right? You become what you think about, but you also become how you see the world. Mm. And that's what happened to me. I saw the world through such a brutal lens I became that brutality. So it's important that no matter how bad things may be around you, you gotta be able to focus on the silver lining, the good in it, the good within it. Right. Because if you focus too much on the negativity of it, you will become the negativity. And that's the hate that hate produces. Well, how did you how did you do that though? Because that, you know, that takes some work, right? To to have that introspection, to to look at yourself inside and say, okay, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. So something have had to shift that in you. Was that was it in school? Was it a friend? Was it something you joined? What shifted you to now have this Genesis leadership training? Because obviously you've done some work on yourself, right? To move forward. So you could have ended up the other way. You could have stayed brutal. You could have stayed angry. You could have been in gangs. You could have done that choice too. You have choices. So why did you make this choice? Why can't transform your thinking? And how did that happen? I've always had this little voice inside of me 
telling me that I'm supposed to be more than I was. You know, that I always had this, uh, this intuition and ability to self-correct when I saw the bottom of the hole that I was in. Right. And it came through several trips to jail and I was never a, 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 a big time criminal or nothing, but through fighting, obviously you always get arrested and end up right in the camp for a couple of days or a week or two weeks, which was the longest I had. And so through those experiences, I remember though the one, and then alcohol got involved too. So alcohol is, you gotta be careful. The fact that alcohol is legal doesn't mean that it's safe. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I'm telling you, alcohol was going to destroy my life. That was another yeah. thing. I had to let that go. And I stopped drinking about, I think it's 13 or 14 years ago now. I don't count because uh, I was counting like people usually count. And I respect what, what works for anybody. So I don't want to diminish that. But for me, I stopped counting because why am I counting? This is the way I'm going to live for the rest of my life until I die. So why am I counting? Right. It's not like I'm going to... That's a good point. That's a really good like point. Yeah, it's not like I'm... Because I feel like... If I'm counting, it's as if I'm saying, how long can I make it? It's <laughs> yes. a good point. Yeah. Good That's point. The way I, so I said, I'm not counting anymore. Forget it. So I stopped counting. So I think it's good like 14 years. But anyways, so to, through several trips like that, but there's one in particular that I want to share with you. When I stopped drinking. So that was one big turn because alcohol was a very damaging force in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was going, you know... One thing I've had too is that when I say something, your word has to mean something to you. In my, in the middle of my chaos, in my anger, in my violence, I've always had the ability to say, when I say something, you can take it to the bank. Because that, my word is the most important thing that I have, right? And when you say something, the most important person that needs to know that you will go through with it is you, not right. everybody else, right. it's you. That's and good. so I want... So um, I was in county jail for two weeks and uh, they brought this guy and he was, you know, on drugs, I think. And he was just talking and talking and talking and talking. I mean, he was just talking. He must have been like two in the morning and he was still talking. He was right on top of me, on, you know, because of the bombs. Right. And I, and I couldn't go to sleep and then I got angry, right? And I sat down on my bunk bed and I was listening to him and I thought, I'm just going to shut him up. So I decided I was going to get up and beat the hell out of him and shut him up. Because I thought, what's going to happen? I'm in jail. Right, right, right. arrest me. <laughs> right. That's really what I thought. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> well, I guess somebody could kill me, but that never crosses my mind when you're angry like that. Right. So anyways, so I'm listening to him and I think, he is a worm. He has the brain of a worm, right? That's what I thought. And I'm about to get up, right? And I'm, I'm literally getting up to do what I'm going to do when the voice said to me, Yes, he's a worm, but you're here with him. Ooh. Oh my God. He's like, Ooh. oh, I'm right now. I Because I literally was in the middle of getting up. I think like that for like five minutes, maybe. I was like, Ooh. I'm here with him. Wow. And I thought I was better than him. And that's wow. how we lie to ourselves. We mislead us into thinking that we're not that which we point the finger to. And most times we are because that's the lens that you see the world through. And that's what I'm saying. You become that lens that you see the world through. And I swear to you, Nina, it was like a rock right here. And I said, what the hell? And that was one of the first times that I really became self-aware. 
And I read that book, that alcohol isn't good. I read it. And they talk about a moment of clarity. That was that moment for me. Right, right. And so I sat back down, right? I couldn't even hear the guy talking. He talked the whole night too. <laughs> and I couldn't even hear him anymore because that's what happens when you are able to start to ignore the noise. Right, right. You weren't focusing on the distraction anymore. Right. So I asked that's myself, good. Okay, how did I end up here? So, you know, I went back and thinking about the events. I fought, I beat up the neighbor this time and that's, I got arrested. Okay. But I thought, but if I wouldn't have been drunk, I probably would have like been more patient and not quick to attack him. Even though when I was sober, I was, I was angry too, though. but it was worse when I drank. And so I said, okay, that was alcohol. All right. Then I went back and started analyzing all the other times. And the one thing I realized, if I take alcohol out of the equation, I can lessen the chances by 90% of ever being back here again with this warm, being a warm. Right. right. And at that moment, I said, okay, so I'm going to stop drinking. And that's the thing. When you say something, do it. I'm going to fix the bed at three. Fix the bed. I'm going to walk the dog at five. Walk that dog. Because exercising that muscle that you always follow through what you say is the same muscle that you have to exercise when you reach for your dreams. That's good. And so I had to stop drinking. And my friends, even now, they look at me, you really don't drink. And they made this face. And one day I got angry. I said, why do you guys keep asking me that? As if I just do it to impress you or like I drink behind closed doors. I do it because of me because I know what my life could be with, with, with alcohol. And so I felt shame, you know that? I remember me just feeling such a deep sense of shame or how irresponsible I was being to my wife, to my family. I was still, I was still going to work and take care of business. So it wasn't that bad. But everything else that I was putting at risk Letting yeah. my ego know that, right, be the first thing. So that really started changing me. And so I stopped drinking, and that changed a lot of things. The second thing that I say, Nina, that when I realized that I needed to change and I had a responsibility to change, I went to a training, and they put, it was 60 people, 30 in one line, 30 in the other line. And they said, introduce yourself. Say, my name is Pablo, and then the other person would say, my name is so-and-so. And we did that, 30 people. Then they said, go back and say, Hello, my name is Pablo. If you don't remember the name of the person, say, I didn't care enough about you, so I don't remember your name. I said that 29 times. Wow. No, 28 times, because there were two people that I knew. 28, I said, my name is Pablo, and I don't remember your name because I didn't care about you. I said that 28 times, Nina. Then after that, right? So picture that. These are people that I didn't know. That's the, the first interaction we had. Then they gave us some like ice cream sticks. And they said, you are on a ship now and you, we are sinking. And most of you, we're gonna drown. So you gotta choose people in here, three people that you will choose to send a message to your family that you can trust them that they will take care of this message for you. Give them the, your sticks. And a lot of people started giving me their sticks. I was like, people just kept giving me the sticks. And I was like, what is going on, right? And at the end of the whole exercise, they started saying the number of sticks that you had to sit down because you were there basically drowning and three people remained standing. And I was one of those three people. And at that moment, Nina, is when I remember me wow, feeling. that's deep. The responsibility that the world expects of me. I still don't know why, and it does not matter. But the world, those people there, they expected of me. And I realized that I have been walking with my back towards the world this whole time. 
Right. And that was the moment when I said, I must become a better me because I got to fulfill this responsibility that God gave me to right. be the best self, to help people that expect of me for whatever reason that is. And that was a big turning point. That's that's very powerful. Super powerful. So I want you, um, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I do want you to tell me really quickly about the Yenesis leadership training, because that's what it sounds like. Like all of this culminated to this moment, right? To the moment of what you're doing now. So what is Yenesis leadership training? What What is that about? So as I, as I got into that self-awareness, I started reading books like Napoleon Hill and other, other books that talk about controlling your mind mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I started realizing that leadership development was important for me to become that better me. Mm-hmm. I was a union rep also because unions, you know, is where you can go and work to build people together to, to protect each other, much like we did in the war. So right. I was a union rep. I've been a union rep for 25 years. And through doing that work, I started testing techniques to recruit leaders and develop leaders and develop what I call that leadership identity. Because you know what? This is the thing. You have an identity an identity that is given to you where you work at, which is an employee identity. You're told what to do, stay in your lane, right? All that. And when you develop somebody under union leadership, now they have to break that social contract and they have to develop a new identity. And now I understand how to build that within an individual. And as I got better at doing that, I was also being able to apply it to me twice as much because I had to work 10 times more on me to be able to help those people developing leadership. That's a very good point. And so as I went to trials and errors and got better at it and kept reading, that's one thing though about me, I'll read. I'm a slow reader because I just... But because I read with intent, I don't read just to say I read that book. I read to understand the concept and expand on it and then apply it in the real world. So I don't mind if I take two months to read a book, but I'll get something really good out of it and I'll go out and test it. And so through all that, through all that, I realized that in our communities and Latinos, African-American communities, but also white communities, working white communities, there is no leadership development. And that is why our youth end up in jail. That's why a lot of our folks in those communities don't find a way out. And if somebody could just assist them to develop their leadership, to let them understand how leadership is important, to walk through that door to their best self, the world would be, it would be a huge impact in the world. And so that's, that's awesome. why I decided to start Genesis Leadership Training because I feel that it is my responsibility to fulfill that with our communities and anybody who wants to be better because I feel that I have a voice and I understand how to deal with fear. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. No, really, you're doing a fantastic job. Uh, I'm so glad that you shared your whole story with us because first of all, it's just super impactful, right? But it also because of what you're doing. So since you're developing leaders, you know, people can't, well, with you anyway, they don't have, they can't give you too many excuses that will be good ones, right? Because you've been through so much yourself that for people to come up with an excuse, you're like, well, no, <laughs> it's not a good excuse, right? So um, developing leaders, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's something that needs to be 
done. And I think that is, you know, there's things that we're not learning in school that we should be learning. Leadership is one of them, right? Also budgeting and how to handle your money finances. That's another one. Self-awareness. That's another one. These are things that we should be teaching, right? And so since we're not getting it in schools, it's important for people like us who want to go out there and share our stories and impact people and impact um, young minds and leaders. You know, this is important for the work that we do. So thank you for the work that you do. Um, Pablo, because it's impactful. And I'm really happy that you came on my show today. This was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot from you. And I know I'll be seeing you around the clubhouse uh, hallways, because I see you in a lot of the rooms that I'm in. And I think it's because we have the same interests, right? Leadership, self-development, mental health, all of that great stuff. So can you let my audience know how they can follow you, whether it's on social media, learn more about the the uh, Yenesis leadership training. Just give us all of your um, social media and stuff handles, please. Definitely. Thank you, Nina. You're so good. <laughs> Thank so, you. Genesis, the word Genesis is like the Bible word, the beginning, okay. but it's spelled with a Y. Right. So Genesis, Y-E-N-E-S-I-S, genesisleadership.com is our website. And okay. if you go to our website, you can subscribe right now and then send me a message if you want to attend my free, it's a free masterclass on public speaking. Oh, that's great. I think that if I can help somebody overcome the fear of public speaking, I can then help them overcome the fear to succeed and be their best self. Because that's that right. fear that that's you great. break mm-hmm. is the same fear that you must break in the bigger goals, right? right. And I've heard in Clubhouse, people say a lot, right? You heard this. I'm so scared of speaking. I'm so scared of speaking. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I got to help folks with that. So I have a free masterclass, how to be a better public speaker on June 13th, okay? Go to my website, genesisleadership.com and subscribe and send me a message saying I want to attend and I'll send you the Zoom link after you send me the message. I also have Instagram, which is the same, Genesis Leadership and Facebook, Genesis Leadership, same thing, okay? So any of those will work. And if, uh, if I can be of any help and service to you, and especially in community organizations, um, that's what I like to do. Uh, and remember that leadership is not just for politicians and managers and entrepreneurs. Leadership is a life skill. Oh, yeah. It's a process where you decide to become more self-aware so that you can be more relevant in the world around you. That's Absolutely. what leadership is. And that's what we do here at Genesis Training. That's our mission. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you so much. And I want to thank you so much, Pablo. And everybody who is watching and listening, make sure that you go ahead and check it out. And especially the master class. I think you're going to really get a lot out of that because he's a phenomenal speaker. I mean, you just saw him doing this interview. Very well spoken, knows exactly the message he needs to deliver and delivered it well. So thank you guys for being here. This is Nina Perez. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you leave a review so that we can keep growing this channel. And um, yeah, I think that's it for now. This is Nina Perez, and this is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. Until next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.